This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Everybody and welcome to Philly's Backstage. I'm Tom Burgoyne, and I'm joined by the very tan John Brazier. How you doing, John? I'm doing great, as my tan shows. <laughs> it, it does. You know, we took a little break. And you know what, John? It's pretty cool because we took a break, and we're like, ah, we'll be fine. You know what? We heard from some of our listeners like, hey. Where's, where's the podcast? Ba- where's the podcast? Right. Where's Philly's backstage? So, shocking. <laughs> I know. Well, I guess we have to take vacation once in a while. And yes. if you're in the baseball world, it's nonstop, as you know, really from February 13th, right? And the, the one break everybody gets is the All-Star break. So, I don't know about you, but like... Like, for me, well, you're with the Fanatics. The Fanatics are usually working on the All-Star. But for a lot of us, it's kind of our time get away from baseball, kind of rejuvenate for the second half. Um, so for me, I've, I've only been to two All-Star games. I went to the one that was here, and, and we've talked about that before, where I was the DJ in 1996, which was a lot of fun. But the only other one I went to was in Boston when it was that, uh, that All-Star game where all the players went around Ted Williams when he was in the wheelchair. Uh, and I think he probably passed within at least a year or two, I think, after that. So that was a very special one. But other than that, you know, the last thing I want to do, I don't care what city it's in, I want to get away. I go down to the beach. I entertain two families, uh, college buddies of mine, and, and my daughter kind of has grown up with this these other families, and uh, it's a nice little getaway. So, yes, I had a beach. And now I do watch the All-Star game. I watched it, the home run derby, and it was awesome. But how was, since you were right next to the Fanatic, how was the uh, home run derby, and how was the All-Star game? Uh, John, it was great. Now, you know, 1996 was the first year that Major League Baseball started to send all the mascots to the All-Star game. That was the year the Phillies hosted the All-Star game. So this is my 23rd consecutive year joining the Fanatic at the All-Star game. So uh, it's really cool for me because I get to see, it's a good way for me to see all the other ballparks. And of course, you go into these ballparks when the city is completely fired up for the All-Star game, which is cool. Um, So it's great. You know, the Fanatic, uh, he does kind of a a lot of the similar things every year. He'll uh, make an appearance at Fan Fest, uh, which is a week-long activity. Um, He makes an appearance at uh, the red carpet on um, uh, the day of the game. Uh, They have other events. There's a play ball area uh, where the mascots usually um, make an appearance. There's things with the Boys and Girls Club. So the Fanatic keeps very busy during the All-Star. Do you have a lot of like fashion uh, houses trying to to get the Fanatic to wear like a Donna Coran or a you know. On the red carpet? Yes. (laughs) Did you show off like you know. No. A Tory Burch or. No. He's got his uh, you know shirt on and no pants. That's how the Fanatic travels. No No pants. pants. (laughs) You know, so. what are you wearing? He goes, nothing. You know, right. it's so, um, no. And the red carpet, I got to tell you, like I said, these cities are so fired up. It's like, you know, uh, uh, 
a year's worth of buildup. You know, the, the game is finally here. So it is really cool to see fans that come in from all over the country. They're wearing, you know, their team's uniforms. And then, really, the red carpet is one of the great events for the Fanatic. You know, to walk down that red carpet and everybody's yelling and screaming. Uh, it's, just, it's just awesome. Is the Fanatic out there for the Home Run Derby? Uh, no, we were there at the Home Run Derby. The Fanatic is out there uh, working the gates, and then they always introduce the mascots. But then once the Home Run Derby starts, the Fanatic is done, and attention is on the Derby. And this year, what a show, John. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some years that event, I wonder, you know, boy, I mean, they sell tickets to this thing, and it's really kind of, you know, people look at it, it's like, oh, this is just glorified batting practice. But you know what? Every year, it never seems to disappoint. And this year was just awesome. I'm not a big Bryce Harper fan. But the way that all went down was pretty Well, I pretty think the cool. rules are good, too. I like the timeouts. They yes. can choose when to take the timeout because these guys, it's tiring. Um, and, you know, that you can get a bonus point based on distance. You get 30 seconds if you hit it, you know, I think over 400-something feet. Um, and I, I, it was awesome. But I tell you what, when, Re when, when Reese hit 20 – uh, in the semis, right? First, you thought at that point, because guys were hitting like 9, 10, 11, 12, um, you thought he's good to go and really went deep with Schwarber. And then Schwarber just went on an epic tear at the end in that 30-second time. Yeah, so I, I mean, thought we're, I thought it was going to be Bryce versus Reese, which would have been awesome. I did too. And but how great was it, Reese? Really a yep. great showing. Th what thirty-seven home runs? You're absolutely right about the format, John. They changed it, and uh, I think it's all for the better. It really makes for great dramatics. But and I, the All Star game was great too, because obviously yeah. we had uh, Aaron Nola to root for. Yep. And you know, you look at that American League lineup. I mean, there's there's no. You get no break. I mean, maybe if you get Salvador Perez, right? But other than that, you're dealing with Mookie Betts and Mike Trouton. And, and he, he dealt with the, the heart of their lineup. He did. And he, he, I think he gave up, what, uh, one hit, I think, right? It was a scoreless inning. Did he right. give up a hit? Uh, I don't know. I think somebody got on base. I forget okay. how, but uh, yeah. But he, but he uh, got Trout right to pop out yeah, for the end of the. It, it's the beauty of the All Star Game. It's the reason why it is the best All Star Game because you have that great matchup. You have a great pitcher versus a great hitter. Um, yeah, it was just uh, just awesome. Uh, great showing by both guys. Yeah, it was cool to be there. Good. So, um, what do you say? Uh, should we bring Scott in? I do, but I got to tell you before we bring Scott in, Go I got to tell you uh, now. Scott uh, has worked since two thousand and. Five, I think we'll, we'll, we'll clarify with him, um, but he's been here for a while and it's funny. Scott does all the, he does pinstripes. So he does that show on Sunday where he gets to interview different celebrities or, and a lot of it's recorded for that Sunday show. Well, sometimes I get, uh, I get his, um, if he can't do it, then he'll say, Brage, can you, um, interview so-and-so? So I remember this was a while back and it's funny. We're playing the Dodgers coming up and he said, Hey, uh, I can't, I'm, I'm supposed to interview Alyssa Milano. Um, I, I can't do it. Do you mind uh, interviewing her? But just about her. She's got a fat. Who's the boss? Right? She, yes, right. Yeah. She's and I guess a couple other. Was she in the um, what? What am I talking? Like pop a, culture. It was a witch. Yes, that was, witch that's what I was trying or, to come up with. Okay, it. I can't yeah, come yeah, up yeah. with it. Um, Sarge's uh, favorite actress. Yes. So he said, "Can you interview Alyssa Milano? She does a fashion. Uh, she has a lot of. Uh, she designs fashion for Major League Baseball, women's fashion." I said, sure. And I, all of a sudden, after he tells me, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be interviewing Alyssa Milano. How cool is this? So, of course, I'm you know, trying to be all, I was single at the time and, you know, thinking oh, that. Oh, if, God, like you yeah. had a shot. Oh, I totally had a shot. You <laughs> oh, kidding me? Yeah, of course you did. <laughs> 
I bet. Yeah, that didn't really work out so well. And uh, is that the highlight of your Phillies career? Uh, yes. <laughs> that uh, and trying to <laughs> – and maybe it was – no, the highlight of my career was in the beginning was uh, when Alice Cooper went into the Dodgers uh, locker room. And next thing you know, like he was talking to Mike Piazza and all those guys back then. And someone said, you got to get Alice Cooper out of the – we need him for the pregame radio. So I'm like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable going into the visiting locker room. Yeah. Alice Cooper is totally holding court with like 10 Dodgers around him. And at that point, Dodgers had all the superstars, you know. Right. And I had to go in the middle of them and say, "Excuse uh, me, Mr. Cooper." Yes, excuse, <laughs> excuse me, guys. I got to take Alice here to do a radio interview. <laughs> They're all looking at me like, "Who are you?" And get right, the right, 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 right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, Alice Cooper uh, is not Scott Palmer. But, no. Uh, did I ever tell you the first time I met Scott Palmer? No. 1986. I'm at Drexel University. Okay. Uh, the the it was uh, Drexel's basketball team was in the East Coast Conference, the old ECC. Automatic bid, bid if you win the tournament. My brother and I go down to Towson for the uh, for the championship game. Drexel wins. Me and Mark, my brother, we storm the court. We're going crazy. <laughs> I think we're the only two Drexel students down there storming the court, but we were on the court going crazy. The next morning, I'm walking to class. Scott Palmer wants to interview you know, a student or some students from Drexel. And so he's standing by himself with his cameraman, and I'm walking uh, down you know, uh, close to the gym. And I'm like, wow, it's Scott Palmer, because you know, Scott was a rock star back then. He was. Everybody I mean, from Action News. Every Action He just knew Scott Palmer. And uh, I was like, Scott, Scott. And uh, I was like, I was at the game last night. And meanwhile, he knew because I, I didn't have a voice, you know. And he's like, well, then come on over. So uh, even before we go on the air, he goes, what's your name? You know, so they can get it for the Chiron. Uh, I said, Tom Burgoyne. He's like, Burgoyne. He's like, I lived on Burgoyne Street back in Illinois. I'm like, that's crazy. And it's spelled the same way and everything. So he lived on Burgoyne Street. But I remember doing, you know, the interview. I'm totally jazz pumped up. And I'm like, Duke was number one in the country. And uh, I'm like, bring on Duke. We'll take him on. And I remember they cut away back to Scott, who's now doing the story in the uh, – that was the taped segment. So now he's back in the studio. And they come back to uh, Scott, and he's like, they're excited at Drexel. And even Jim Garner, he, like, throws it over to Jim Garner. Even J Jim Garner, I think, was laughing at me. But, uh, uh, yeah. I and and little did you know you turn into the Don Pollock of the Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> Real? Okay, you know, I'll take that as a compliment. You know that? What do you think, Rob Brooks? Don Pollock, is that a compliment? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, on that note, we got to bring the man in. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. Bring your family to a Phillies game this season, and your kids can play as hard as the athletes. At The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, you'll find free activities like the Citizens Bank Fan Field, the Fanatic Rock Climbing Wall, and even a mini bullpen for your littlest pitchers. Plus, there's the Turkey Hill Ice Cream Bar and a special Hatfield Frank's Hot Dog Launcher. It's all new right in The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, open before and during every Phillies home game. For tickets or info, visit phillies.com. Welcome back to Philly's Backstage. The man, the myth, the legend has walked in the room, John. Uh, Scott Palmer. <laughs> Scott, we were talking earlier before you got here. We're, you know, this is, this is why we have this podcast. This is literally our lunchroom. 
And, you know, we know all your stories, but I don't even think we know all your stories. But it's just so cool to have you. And uh, how you doing, pal? Oh, Tom, I'm fine. John, good to see you as always. Uh, we just had lunch together a little yes, bit we ago. Yes, we did. We, uh, I we tried sit- to pry some uh, pre-information <laughs> from you. Actually, to me, Tom, it's actually more trying to jog my memory of the stories we've told all the time together. <laughs> true. And the ones we can tell legally on the radio. That has been a problem with some of our guests. They forget all their great stories. Yes. So well, we have to, we you have know, to Tom prod and, them a little. And John, as I told John earlier, the best advice I ever had in the business was was when I was working at Channel 6 and, and the late, great Jim O'Brien told me, never say ahead of time what you're going to tell me in the crosstalk because if you do, uh, the magic will be gone. Uh, I won't be able to react as I would in a conversation and people expect us to be here having a conversation with each other, not to plan comedy bits. See that, Tom? We got some magic brewing right here because it's organic. <laughs> I think we just oversold this show, pal. <laughs> I think so, too. I think we just completely oversold Started with but, a man and a myth and a legend. Scott gave us a good segue. So in the very beginning, tell us how you got into, obviously, for those that don't know Scott Palmer. And Scott, why should they? And why should they? You had your, your career start off, part of your career start off in Birmingham, right? It so to tell, tell us a story, because obviously you've been a uh, newscaster, you've been a sportscaster, you've done a lot of different things, but tell us from the beginning and how Scott you got started. And Scott was an air traffic controller. Really? That's true. That is also I did true. Look that. that I did find <laughs> on the internet. You didn't tell me that. I'm like, wait, Scott can land airplanes? He can do it all. <laughs> you went into the minutia, didn't you, Tom? <laughs> I did. Uh, I did. I was uh, in the Navy uh, after college, and uh, the government decided that since I worked behind a microphone in, in college with my broadcasting major that I would be a good air traffic controller. Wrong on the government's <laughs> part. Uh, I would have had heavy aluminum showers at 30,000 feet had I pursued that any further than uh, uh, ground control. So uh, fortunately, my command officer recognized that at the same time that I wanted to uh, have a part-time job uh, at a TV station working uh, a studio camera uh, and I couldn't do that as an air traffic controller because they have rotating watches meaning you work at different parts of the day during the week so he said how fast can you type I said 52 words a minute he said you're a new clerk typist best uh, course I ever had in high school by the way I, I recommend that very learn practical. how to type Typing it was is very practical. it is so I got out of the air traffic control you, business. wait by the way have you ever seen Tom Burgoyne type because no. it's it's like it's you, you heard hunt and peck it's, yeah. it's not even hunt it's peck 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 <laughs> peck with the index finger I love I love walking past his office and he's just deep in thought just going peck 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 That's is that why style. the keyboard is, is really dented on your com- on your computer Tom can you give him some tips to Scott no it's just a uh, I don't know. We shouldn't spend the whole time talking about typewriting, but uh, no. And and so I, I started out as a as an air traffic controller, and then finished my hitch in the Navy as a public affairs officer, and started working in television in the South, and worked in uh, Jacksonville, Spartanburg, Asheville, in the Carolinas, and then Birmingham, Alabama, with Bear Bryant for a couple of years as now, a sportscaster. And all there. in the South. Did you like? I mean, you were from Illinois. Did you like living in the South? I didn't have much choice. That's where they were mm-hmm. giving me jobs, and, and uh, I would have liked to have come north, but I, I had a fondness for the south. Uh, my wife, Kathy, and I really enjoyed living down there. The pace is a little slower. Uh, most people are very nice down there, although I did uh, meet with the Klan. Oh, should no, I, really? Should I tell that story, John? Sure. Um, Yikes. I was coming back from the University of Alabama-Birmingham basketball game. Uh, our, uh, our street address was a top red mountain, which kind of gives you an idea of some of the way they think down there or hopefully it's not quite as bad as it was but our, our tv station was airing a, uh, a a made for tv movie starring don meredith of all people as an fbi agent who had infiltrated the clan the clan didn't like the fact that we were going to run this tv station so i made the corner turn uh, and found about 50 clansmen in full dress sheets 
Uh, and uh, immediately I thought, well, I've met George Wallace, uh, and now I'm going to meet the Klan. So I pretty much hit two of the things that I thought I might see in Birmingham. And, and I thought, uh, well, this is going to be interesting. And then it turned from interesting to frightening as they started to rock my car. And I said, you guys know me. What I didn't say was, you guys are all cowards. That's why I don't know you, because you got sheets on. You could be a neighbor. You could cut my hair. Um, but it, uh, you know, they, they scared me a little bit and told me to go tell my bosses, and that was the end of that. But that was pretty frightening. Yikes. Well, that's, that's not a good representation of Birmingham. I don't want to get anybody that idea. No, because you also met a young Charles Barkley in Alabama when he was high school, right? You covered him. Sophomore year at Leeds High School, they told me to go and do this uh, interview with a, um, a kid that was built like the Pillsbury Doughboy, <laughs> but he could jump out of the building. Hmm. And so I went and, and met Charles for the first time. He was very polite, as he, as he still is now. Uh, and so it's my fault. I gave him the first television interview. I, I opened up the can of worms with Charles, uh, who later became and is now a, a, a friend. Uh, we One of my favorite times is having dinner with Charles because uh, the conversation is always uh, enlightening. And as Charles says, nobody ever tells me I'm wrong. They just say, Charles, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> now, I think I, you know this. My brother-in-law played running back for Bear Bryant. That's right. So Bear Bryant, even if you're not from the South or from Alabama, Bear Bryant is a legendary, almost a mythic figure. What was it like working with Bear? Oh, it was it was unbelievable, John. Uh, every time he walked into a room, everybody would sit up straight, and posture would be good, and everybody would quiet down, and you'd hear the whispers. That's Bear. That's Bear. That's Bear. And little kids, like two years old, would have T-shirts that would say, "Hang on, Bear, I'm coming." Because everybody knew he was toward the end of his career. Uh, the first time I was in a news conference with uh, Paul Bear Bryant, uh, he started talking, and I thought I should go outside and roll up my windows because surely there was a thunderstorm approaching. He had this gravelly voice. Uh, and uh, the one thing I remember about his news conferences or any time the media would come to him with questions, he always had exactly the right answer about strategy. He would always say, I did it to win the game. And that's pretty hard to, yep. you know. Great strategy. Pretty, pretty hard to contradict. Uh, so he pretty much handled that media the way he wanted to. So you get to Philadelphia in what year? Wait, wait, wait. Time out. March 23rd, wow. 1981. See, wow. I told you I did wow. research. Wow, look at that. I never do research. I wouldn't have been able to give you that date. I would have said March of 81, <laughs> but you even got the date. So 81, you're coming to Philadelphia after yep. arguably the greatest exactly. year in Philadelphia the sports. Heyday. Right. I thought it was going to be that way forever. Right. I was coming to Philadelphia. The Eagles were going to be in the Super Bowl every year. Phillies were going to be now, in the World Series. Now, were you sports series. or were you just a news anchor sports. at that point? Sports. Uh, sports. Okay. And my first Phillies assignment was Cincinnati as the Phillies had won the, the World Series and always the World Series winner would play, uh, if it was a National League winner, uh, would play the Cincinnati Reds. Right. Because the Reds, the Reds had, had the traditional, right, traditional opening, day opening day parade. So I, I get there and, um, and I'm quite excited because I'm finally in Major League Baseball in Hawaii uh, because I love baseball, obviously. And the Reds loaded the bases. Tug McGraw came in. I thought, this is going to be great. He was the hero. Oh, my gosh. It's going to be a great end of the story. And he walked in the winning run. So I go oh. in the clubhouse, and the first person I see is is Tuck, because I wanted to you know get an interview with him. He didn't know me from Adam. I didn't know him, uh, and I thought, uh, well, God, this is not going to be easy. Uh, the guy was a World Series hero, and now I got to ask him about blowing the game. And he looked at me, and before I could even introduce myself, he said, "What happened to you? Did your dog die?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, you just you know I just saw this, and you walked in the winning run." He said, "It's the first game." of the season nice. we got more than 160 more and tomorrow the 
billion people in China are never going to know this happened. And I thought, I'm going to like this guy. <laughs> right. yes. He had this, this great ability to put things in the proper perspective. And then, you know, fortunately, I got a chance to work to with work him. With him. Yeah. And, and toward the end of his life, and yep. we became we became great friends. And, and uh, one of the very sad things that's happened is uh, was losing friends. And you guys know that. We've all lost friends. And that was tough. But as Tug... Uh, Tuck said, uh, you know, we, we talked after his first surgery, and I said, are you asking yourself why me? And he said, no, I don't have a right to ask why me. A young mother with three kids who gets cancer has a right to say why me. I front-loaded my life like I front-loaded my contracts. I have no reason at all to ask why this has happened to me. Hmm. I'll make the best of it until I'm, I'm not here anymore, and that's what he did. You know, he went to Graceland. Uh, only a couple of weeks before he died because you know how big a Elvis Presley yep. fan he was uh, and so he he did he got the best out of out of an incredible life so what was it like working with Tug is Tug after his oh, career as everyone people may not know worked for Channel 6 he did he did and uh, the hardest thing about working with Tug was getting him to show up on time because he, you know, we had live shots, and you had to be there at 5:20 or 5:40 or 6:15, and 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 we had to track Tug down many times, and he would always say, "I'm a reliever. I come in at the end." We said, "Well, this is not the end. You got a new job. You got to be here." And one time, he he obviously had a hard time getting through the live shot. And I, I said, "What's wrong?" And and he took out this big jaw of tobacco he didn't have time to take out. <laughs> so it was always an adventure, and he never knew how to end the, the live shot. So he'd always say, game time, 7.05. And like, we don't know. That's all you got here, 7.05? And it seemed like, you know, he was like a when the camera came on, he just was on. He didn't prepare and all that. It, and he, he was a natural in that way. He though, was. Right? He was like the other Jim the O'Brien. That's why they hired him. Because you never knew what he was going to say. He never rehearsed. He would tell you. I remember we were in, in Wrigley Field, uh, and he, Tug never had success in Wrigley. He gave up a lot of home runs. And we were doing the first night game at Wrigley because the Phillies were playing there. And, and he said uh, during the live shot three times, uh, you got to deal with the elephants. And I'm like, it's not a circus. What's he talking about? He said, I mean the elements. <laughs> so three times he's talking about working with elephants. I'm like, I don't even stop with the wind blowing out, obviously, I, with the elements. I got a great tug. So um, when we were uh, 2000, year 2000, we were going to, Tug wanted to organize a 20th anniversary of the uh, World Series team. And he wanted to do a big parade. He wanted to, he had all these big ideas. As you know, Tug was a big idea guy. Yes, Maybe not was. the most detailed guy, but a big idea guy. So Larry Shank, our, our you know, longtime uh, legendary PR guy, uh, they didn't mix. Like, they loved each other. But Larry is that totally efficient a detail guy and Tug was a big and I think Larry just couldn't couldn't take it anymore and he said John do me a favor can you work with Tug he's, he's, and, I, and he made it seem like it was a young it was a challenge for a young PR guy so I would go over to Tug's house two times a week and Tug would have all these big ideas he's like alright we're going to have this parade it's going to be exactly like 1980 we're going to have convertibles we're going to have this we're going to have that and I'm sitting there going like wow he's got and what did it turn into? Well, you know what? Actually, it turned out, like, I'm Pretty thinking, good. like, this could be too crazy because it always, and I'm right. trying to rein him in a little bit, but I'm kind of a big idea, too, guy, too. <laughs> well, sure this enough, you know what? Match. It worked out because we had, it was a great parade that went great, from City yeah. Hall. Now, we didn't go all the way down Broad Street. We went from City Hall to the Academy of Music. 
And then we had, right. uh, he did the uh, reading of Casey at the Bat. Yes, he did. And then we had, remember we did it, what was called Toto's back then, which is now, I think, of, um, where Astia is, right across the street from Academy Music. And that, everything worked out great. But it was really funny to hear all these big ideas. And I was going like, oh, man, he's, this is never going to come to fruition. It was, but it, it, it did. It turned out fine yeah. at the end, as it usually did with Tug. You just wondered how he was going to get yeah. there. And it worked out again when he went into the Wall of Fame. Again, another Larry Shank uh, production, that Wall of Fame. Before Tug, it wasn't much of a ceremony. And Tug said, if you're going to put me up on the wall, we're, you know, we're going to make this a ceremony. And that was the first year we really started to to make it just a bigger deal. Right. It's, it's a big part of our promotion, uh, promotional calendar. But he had Tug and Faith, or I'm sorry, uh, Tim and Faith yep. here. And yep. it just wound up being bigger that year. And ever since then, it's been a, a big a big deal here. Uh, yeah. he do, was one of the do you remember when Tim came here, when he threw out the first pitch? Why don't you tell uh, that story? Well, I, I remember meeting Tim yes. uh, after Tug had finally decided that he would accept him as his son in spring training. He, we met the night before. We were having some, some after-dinner refreshments, and he said, uh, my son's coming tomorrow. I said, okay, you know, thinking we'll see Mark tomorrow. And we'll, you know, I, I like Mark. He's a good guy. And so I come, and, and here's a guy that's not Mark, but he looks amazingly like Tug. And he said, this is my son, Tim. And I said, Okay. And so then he told me the story, and uh, yeah, Tim, he said, I got to get, I, I remember the, exactly, he said, we have to get Tim on television. He's going to be a country and western uh, singer. I think, he, I think he actually said country and western rather than country. And he said, uh, we got to get him on TV. How are we going to do that? And I said, all right, we'll have you guys sing Take Me at the Ball Game to end the segment. So we did. So, you know, that was Tim's first time on television, and and uh, they had a great relationship. I the, I never say that I, I have. But regrets. the story, back it up for the people that don't know, and don't tell the full story. But you, I mean, you can tell as much as you can. That Tug didn't really know that he had a son until no. later, till Tim was older. And he denied it for a while and, until uh, the mother, Tim's mother, decided that she would come to Houston, where the Phillies were playing, and show. Tug Tim, <laughs> and when Tug saw Tim, he realized yeah, this is my son. But, my but son. wasn't wasn't Tim not knowing who his dad was? Oh, for years had a had a had, Tug McGraw poster and it had baseball cards of Tug. It of was Tug one of his was his favorite, favorite player. Yeah, and didn't know that was his dad. Right, right. No, that's that's exactly right, John. Uh, so he finally. Uh, you know, he finally accepted that, and they had a great relationship as friends. It was never a father-son relationship uh, because Tim uh, knew that Tug. It wasn't. It wasn't that he was mad about all the years of not knowing. It was basically that he thought Tug couldn't be a father because he was too much like. Tim, he was actually like Tim's younger brother, as you remember Tug, because he could never do anything serious. And and Tim was trying to start a career and be serious. And, you know, we're sitting outside in a, in a bus in Lehigh Valley and, and Tim's tour bus when he finally, you know, was a headliner. And and uh, the manager came and said, Tug, Larry Christensen is here. And he told, he told me he's got two front row seats. And Tug had the sheepish grin. You know, because, you know, Tug had told him and then not told Tim. Or, and, and so uh, Tim went over and said, Tug, how many times have we gone through this? <laughs> and, and Tug just looked like, I'm sorry. And, and, Promising uh, the manager, everybody first. Sure, and, the ma- and the manager put two folding chairs on the back, so LC was, LC yeah. was fine. But, yeah, they had, that, they had that kind of a relationship. But, you, John, you mentioned him here at the World Series. And, and obviously, uh, some people might not know it, actually, uh, uh, Tug had his body cremated, and they put ashes in different places in, in Tug's life. 
uh, Tim helped, and Hank, his brother, uh, Tug's brother, helped. So I'm watching uh, Tim out, go out to the mound throughout the first pitch. He's got the red satin Phillies jacket, and I see him reach into the jacket and kind of put his hand down, and he walks off, and I went, walked over. I said, Tim, is my friend now on the mound? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he yeah. looked at me, and he goes, yeah. yeah. Was that <laughs> the greatest thing? Was, I have a picture of him telling me that yeah. and, this, and this grin on his face. Uh, it just was the best moment of knowing was that. Was that Tim's idea, you think? I think it was. Mm-hmm. I never asked him. We got to the. He, he was up in the suite before, mm-hmm. and we we were joking around. What are you? Someone said, "You know, are you, what are you throwing out there?" He said, oh, I, "I'll be throwing a oh, curve." He said, "I'll be throwing a curveball." Yeah, he and he kind of had this like this sly <laughs> grin, grin. on did. his face, and sure enough, I think he was surprised that I saw him because I thought he could. He probably thought he could do it, and nobody would notice it. But it was it was fairly obvious, and it was just a great moment. It was like, and I still believe that Tug's ghost is in this building. Yeah, you know, he never played here at Citizens Bank Park, but boy, did he love baseball, and that's one of the reasons I came here. Honestly, I don't think I've ever told anybody, but my wife was to be a part of what Tug was a part of because I knew how happy it made him, and to have a, a job in baseball where you could come in and. Meet, meet great friends like you guys and, and have long lunches in the off season and, and talk baseball and other things about life and it was just it was the most fun. And you know what and just, just to come full circle, it did Tim became almost a father to Tug at, at towards the end because Tim helped out big time when Tug, when Tug was going through mm. uh, his brain cancer struggles. Yes, I mean, he Tim did. helped out just emotionally, physically, monetarily. I mean, just was really there for, for Tug. And Tug died in uh, one of the homes on Tim's land. He took him home to die. And um, the last, as I was told the story, uh, he was on his deathbed, uh, but it was a beautiful day. And windows were open on both sides of the room and the sheets were kind of you know flapping a little bit over tug and his last words were i feel like i'm flying and that was after that he he passed and gave us all those great memories that we can laugh about now Mm -hmm. awesome well you had a great relationship with him scott uh thanks for sharing all that we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with scott palmer Bring your family to a Phillies game this season, and your kids can play as hard as the athletes. At The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, you'll find free activities like the Citizens Bank Fan Field, the Fanatic Rock Climbing Wall, and even a mini bullpen for your littlest pitchers. Plus, there's the Turkey Hill Ice Cream Bar and a special Hatfield Franks Hot Dog Launcher. It's all new right in The Yard at Citizens Bank Park, open before and during every Phillies home game. For tickets or info, visit phillies.com. And we're back, Phillies backstage with Scott Palmer. And, Scott, you know, we just talked about it. And actually, before you came in here, we uh, introed you and said, you know, how much of a rock star you were oh, back boy. in the 80s with Action News <laughs> because funny. we were Action News junkies. We all watched Action News, you know. So uh, for you, though, to go from we talked about these southern cities mm-hmm. uh, and then to a market like Philadelphia – what was that like? Well, I remember uh, the first time that I interviewed with uh, the man who would become my news director, and he said, uh, don't worry, you'll lose your southern accent. And I said, I can't believe you all think I have a southern accent. <laughs> and then I realized what I had said, because, uh, you know, you're 10 years in the south, and you start to you got it. be with people, you yeah. speak that way. So I, I came up here, and, and I, I learned what he told me what happened would be, it would be a little faster track. Uh, it would everything would be a little bit faster, and I have to speed up everything. Not my delivery, but I'd have to, you know, the, there's traffic here, and you have to. 
do everything a little faster. So, uh, it, as John mentioned earlier, uh, it was a great time in Philadelphia sports. Uh, the Phillies coming off a of World Series. The Eagles had been to uh, the, the, not Super, the Super Bowl, the NFL, NFL in 1981. Uh, the winner of '81, they played Oakland in the right. In the that's Super right. Bowl. That's right. I'm sorry, it was yeah. a Super Bowl, of course. You were coming in right after that. I was coming in right after that. Ron Jaworski, Harold Carmichael, and all those guys. In yeah. fact, uh, I took my son uh, James. When he was about two years old, to a Eagles practice, James put on Jaws' helmet and sat on his, you know, shoulder. Put him up here on his shoulder, and now my son works for NFL Network and has a relationship with Jaws, so it does. How about it that? does come full circle. Full circle. But uh, Flyers uh, were were. I got to go to two Stanley Cups, 83-85. Uh, both, unfortunately, for the Flyers, they played the best team in the world. I think John, you'll agree. You're oh yeah, player. well that Edmonton Oilers team. Edmonton was 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 unbelievable, but to be able to. Um, spend time kind of inside the Flyers organization. They were really good to reporters if you traveled with them all the time. I remember in 83 going to a hotel in Edmonton and there was a karaoke bar and we were all sitting there and I decided I was going to sing old-time rock and roll, you know, in the karaoke. Oh and I remember looking over at the corner and Clarky just laughing his butt off, you know. Uh, and, and knowing the players back then, as, as I, I've told some folks around here, when you first come in as a sportscaster or a person, maybe a uh, a public relations person with a, with a ball club, and you're the same age as the players are, it's a lot different because you know their music. Uh, you, you know uh, the TV shows they're watching, the movies they're watching. This is before video games. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. I'm so lost right now as far as our current team as you are. Uh, like happens? they're talking about the Overwatch League and they're talking, you know. Right. Um, yeah, Esports. Right. right. And, Did they and play Fortnite? Fortnite, yeah. right. Yeah. And oh then they, they got the, um, the DJs and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, it was it, – it, that's true, John. And and so the I was – I worked hard at my job. I, I appreciate – the fact that I was taught a good work ethic by my, my father. But uh, the only time I got good stories, or what you used to call scoops, was because a guy I knew told me because he wanted to help me out. Right. But uh, that was the way it was then. Um, the, and and uh, the, the quality s- of the assignments, too. I guess when you're working oh, in Birmingham boy. and Jacksonville, I know you did a lot of NASCAR, but then yep. all of a sudden you're doing uh, you know, the yeah. NCAA tournament. You're doing First year. Uh, Indiana first year. won here. Indiana. That Isaiah was also Thomas. the first year. Correct. That's right. That's yeah, right. the, everything was late. The U.S. Open. So were you, was your mind blown? Like, yeah, I've, I've hit the yes. big time here. I thought they're surely going to find me out soon. <laughs> nice. And I'll be on a, a plane back to Birmingham because my goal always was to be an anchor, sports anchor in, in Dayton. You know, I, I didn't set my goals really high. You know, I had no reason to. I didn't think it was that good. You just had to uh, pronounce Schuylkill and Conshohocken. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> the one thing about I'll give you a little inside secret on Channel 6. I, you mentioned the date I came. Uh, that that probably was uh, the first time I was on the air because I came earlier in March, but they would never let. And I don't know if they still do this or not, but it's a great thing uh, for television stations to do, to keep their anchors, especially and even reporters, off the air when they first come. Give them a couple weeks to learn the city. And I also remember my first day on the air when Jim O'Brien said Scott Palmer's here with sports. It wasn't Scott Palmer just came here from Birmingham. It was like if you're working in Action News, you've been in Philadelphia forever. That's interesting. Oh, very interesting. And, and so I didn't know how to pronounce Google uh, because I had that, and at that time. And Concha Hocken, obviously. <laughs> but, no, it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a bunch of fun. I remember riding uh, behind, uh, oh, gosh, you're the Sixers guy. Help me out here. Thump and bump. 
Yeah, Mahorn. Rick Mahorn. Rick Mahorn. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Little senior moment. Riding behind Rob Rick Mahorn. back there with the Thank answer. Thank you, Rob. Nice job, Rob. I appreciate that. Riding behind uh, Rick Mahorn, uh, the seat right behind him in the airplane going to Detroit. And and I'm, I'm listening on, on my headphones to some music. And he goes, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh, I'm scared. Just, you know, <laughs> first of all, I would have rather to see a little farther away. You're like Captain and Tennille. <laughs> like no, you know what it was? It was Nat King Cole. Okay. I like, you know, I, I'm a product of, of uh, you know, a lot of the standards. So I was listening to a Nat King Cole, best of Nat King Cole. So he puts the headsets on, he listens, and I'm thinking, oh, boy. And he turns around and he goes, okay, nice. <laughs> you got it. And that's all I said. I said, okay, nice. Yeah, he liked that. And he gave it back. And, I mean, those, those are, but, but again, that's, you're kind of the same age. Yeah. You know, now uh, I wouldn't know what music probably that the guys are listening to, and I, and I wouldn't try to pretend I do. You know, it's my, you mentioned Rick Mahorn. I think my favorite story is Rick Mahorn, and maybe you can tell it, with Jeff, um, uh, who is the, <laughs> Jeff Marks. Or John, John Marks. Marks. John Marks. Tell the story. Jeez, I with wish John... you wouldn't have said his name. I could have told tell, the story. Tell the story. With... Sorry. You could tell it. John Marks, Rick Mahorn. Well, we're <laughs> we're staying at the same hotel, the playoff series in Chicago, and and Ricky missed the bus. I'm not sure what his you know travel habits were, but he missed the bus. So he comes down, and we're in the restaurant, and he says, I need a ride, you know, to the Chicago Stadium. It's called Chicago Stadium where they play. And uh, we're all like, yeah, I'm going to tell you. I'm looking, not looking at him or anything. And John Marks says, I'll get you there. And, and so he gets in for a ride with John, John Marks. John Marks is a reporter for a local right, yeah, sure. local newspaper yep. writer. <laughs> he gets lost. Uh-oh. <laughs> Big time lost. And, and Mahorn is late for, for a shoot around. And, and that's just one of the things. that uh, Now, Seinfeld had a show like that, right? Didn't, didn't, yeah. didn't George Costanza ride Danny, Danny Tartable? Tartable. Yes. <laughs> right? I think he probably read the John Mark story. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, no, those guys, the thump and bump, that was with Barkley. And, so did Rick Mahorn crush well, killed him? Yeah, he killed him. So. He didn't threaten him, but he, you know, he, he basically called him out in front of everybody and embarrassed the heck out of him. All right, so let's, let's move it to now. Sure. You know, you've worked with the Phillies starting in 2000. Yeah, 2005. Five. Yep. Right? So mm-hmm. then this is now, it's interesting, because you've went from a TV career mm-hmm. all your life right. to now working, uh, you worked as a consultant first. I did. And then basically you're you're really a hybrid because you are media for the Phillies mm-hmm. with pinstripes, with the TV show you do, mm-hmm. but you're also, you serve in PR. So, I do. So tell us what it's like from a PR perspective. You know, because a lot of people don't know when do when do the media like what are the hours? What are the what's the you know access to these guys? Yep. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing uh, about baseball that that's unique is play every day, which means they're open to questions from the media every single day. Media is allowed in the clubhouse at three thirty before a seven o'clock game, and then they can come back in after batting practice until an hour before the game starts. So uh, it, the players are always always available, and I had a rude awakening i think john from coming from the media when i would say well geez why aren't these guys here waiting to talk to me to when i saw the schedule that they had uh, and i could kind of understand that there are times they need their privacy and that that is their room that the media are guests in their room uh, it was a little bit of a as i said an eye-opener john and uh after the game then they're available again and on Saturday afternoon, after they talked on Friday night, nothing's changed. But Saturday afternoon before the game, they're available again. So, I mean, it, they, it's the only game where the media is here all the time. In football, the quarterback's available once a week. 
during the week. And there's then, no practice Monday and Tuesday. Right. Or well, no availability. There's, there's no availability. availability, right? There's a walkthrough and different things. But it, it's just we are, we're a different game. And uh, dealing with the media, the players can sometimes have some – some problems it, it's a very we have a very nice clubhouse as most major league parks do now but it's still kind of a confined area uh and the media is there all the time and how about managers too or, or do you have that kind of accessibility i always think you know over the years you know you'd read about it as a fan oh uh, you know the the reporters would gather around a manager and it'd be like an informal yeah. uh, session um have has has have the managers kind of? Do they still have those informal yes. meetings with the media? Yeah, they do. Uh, they once in a while a manager will meet with a guy and and talk with them off a record, off the record, maybe a couple guys. But mostly before the game, uh, the manager comes over in the dugout and there's a gaggle of reporters, and it's very informal, and it's the topic of the day. Uh, it it may be a day where there has been some news, maybe a player has been released or a player has been signed or somebody's gotten hurt. Uh, and it might just be, hey, we got to think of something because we got to write today. You know, the writer has to say, I, I, I need, I need some copy here. Mm. So let's probe and see what, see what we can find. Does Gabe enjoy that process? I think he does. Yeah. I, you know, Gabe is a people person. You guys know, mm-hmm. uh, he likes people, and uh, not all managers like reporters uh, because sometimes they can. Well, especially if they've been burned. Yeah, they, 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 they're not in, in their interest and uh, serving their interests. And Gabe is somebody different because from the first day he hit town, he is the most positive person I've ever met in my life. A close uh, winner over Pat Croce. Wow. Close winner That's over Pat great, Croce. That's a great similarity. Yeah. There. yeah uh, great and, and I think the media for a long time thought there was something disingenuous there mm-hmm. until they found out, no, uh, you know, he knows them all by name. He calls them by name. Makes eye contact. That's a good discussion. Exactly, John. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, there's some managers that like the media more than others. Charlie was great with the media. Yep. Charlie would give them nicknames like he gave his players nicknames. Paul. Well, yeah, true. And some we can't say. <laughs> right, 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 right. And Charlie liked to talk. Like, did, did Charlie, did those sessions ever like bleed into? You know, hey, Charlie, we got a game to start. We got to oh, get yeah. up. There. You know, cause yeah. imagine Charlie would just go and go. He'd and go. just go. He'd yeah. just go. I had more fun with Charlie around here because you could talk to him about anything. Charlie liked old cars. Mm-hmm. I like old cars. We talked about restoring, you know, vintage automobiles. Charlie is a is a man that most, I guess, most of our fans now know. It's not just the guy between yep. the lines as a player and in the dugout as a manager. He's a man of many interests. Hey, what has he met, John? Five or six presidents yep. in his lifetime. He's got great. Stories stories on that. I love talking about his time in Japan. I mean, yeah. Charlie is, you're right. You get him on a conversation that he's that he knows the hitting, Ted Williams. I mean, he just goes, uh, think of all the players he's played with, you know, the Killebrew and, and the managers yeah. he's played under, Casey Stengel. And, I mean, he's got a rich history in, in the baseball, but also just in life in general. And he loves sharing it. Yeah. Yep. No, there's a lot of stories uh, <laughs> about that. Uh, just, just recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, there were a group, or was a group, English teacher would not like that. Yeah, there was a group. A gaggle, of, uh, calm geese again. <laughs> <laughs> a group of Japanese uh, folks here who were going to build a new stadium in Tokyo, and they were going around to different major league ballparks. So there's about a dozen Japanese guys, and and their uh, interpreter introduced me. I had nothing really to say to them. I tried a few English words, and and one or two guys knew, you know, a couple of the words I was saying, and then I said, oh, by the way, did you guys? Uh, you guys ever follow Charlie Manuel in Japan? And all and all of a sudden they went, Oh, Akaoni, Akaoni and they started it was Red Devil. Red Devil. Red Devil in Japan. Baby. And they, and all of a sudden they had this connection because of Charlie Manuel. 
You know, that's that's he's in reverence there. You know that. I know for that. your trip. Oh yeah. my gosh, they love him. Over they did there. a oh, the they did Charlie, yeah. Did they do a Charlie Manuel giveaway that day? Yes, they did. And by the way, John, remember I was? I think we went on air. Uh, you know, we were talking about this. I didn't get one. They mailed me one. Oh, no right? kidding. It just came last week. I got a Charlie Manuel. Uh, uh, Yuri. Uh, what is it? Yakakoni. Yakakoni. Basically, the Tokyo Swallows. There's another name in there that I'm butchering now, but yeah. I got my jersey. Yeah, nice. I'm psyched. That's that's very cool. Well, you you asked me or the fanatic, your friend asked me to have Charlie do a video spot that they could put on the board yeah. in Tokyo and to talk about it. your arrival. So we did it, and I remember he he looks at the camera, he goes. Hey, it's Charlie Manuel here. Y'all know me. You remember Akaoni, me. You remember me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the man's got an entire country, you know, at his fingertips. Hey, speaking of travel, and I know this is just one of the many hats you wear here, Scott. You take our fans twice a year to ballparks. And, of course, at the end of the year, uh, I've been lucky enough to join you all these years uh, on our cruises and our trips. Um, how's that been going? Where are you going next? Tell us about it. San Diego trip in a couple of months uh, first, and then we will go uh, – to uh, Atlanta at the end of the season, which could be a very important, oh, yeah. a very important hope, hope season. So. We started these trips uh, right about the same time we started winning a lot of games, and we'd do two or three road trips. Greg Luzinski and I are lucky enough to host these road trips, and we have a lot of uh, folks who come with us year after year that we now know, and they become our extended Phillies family. Uh, Tom, as you know, uh, on the cruises, we've taken several cruises. We've also uh, taken some land vacations, uh, and this year we're going uh, – to a beautiful uh, resort in Nassau, the Bahamas, Sandals. And so don't, don't you have the same? There's sisters that you that are on <laughs> well, the great, right? Yeah, we can talk about the Shot Sisters. Sure. Why not? Uh, we have a couple of uh, fans who have become our friends, uh, who are sisters uh, in, in in maybe the back nine of their life. We could say charitably, uh, they love doing shots. That's why well, they're the shot, shot sisters. sisters right? Well, that people think their name is S C H O T T, like March Shot. <laughs> right. No, they're, they're shots brewery. Shot. Shot brewery. They're, no, they are just the Shot Sisters because they love doing shots. They actually have. They bought. They bought um, majestic jerseys, and on the back it says Shot Sisters, and we all have to sign them. Yeah. I wrote because they want some kind, something interesting. So I wrote, "If you can read this, you haven't had enough shots." <laughs> The <laughs> <laughs> best of luck, Scott. Uh, yeah, the Shot Sisters go with us everywhere, they're, and they're now world famous. They're world famous. They yeah, are. people know the uh, the Shot Sisters. We're on a cruise ship. We're in international waters. <laughs> we have all the Philly fans. We got about a hundred or more fans standing up doing shots. Like I think of, uh, like over a hundred shots, and everybody's doing shots with the Shot Sisters. It's awesome. We're we on a them. we're on a cruise, and Rich Doobie was with us with Charlie and and Rich's wife Maureen had uh, never drank before. But you can't turn down a shot with the Shot Sisters. She'll find something you can drink uh and so <laughs> she did a shot with us every night and on our farewell performance uh we were talking to dupes about uh you know the trip and what he liked and he finished by saying and i'd like to also thank the shot sisters for turning my wife into an alcoholic <laughs> there you go. <laughs> not, she's not obviously we had to carry her off the ship <laughs> no, don't, no, don't, no. Don't, don't don't do that rich will come back and find us That's but it, it, it that is the shot sisters and that is the clientele that we have they're good people all right before we because uh, i do have a quiz for you at the end of i give a quiz it's always very convoluted quiz but before we get to that okay uh tell us some because again you've been with the Phillies since 2005 you five, said? Yep. five 
some of the some of your favorite uh, colorful characters to cover, either as a as a reporter or just as a uh, coworker. Well, you know, there's obviously Tug as I followed him as a as a reporter. Uh, when I got here, the first person uh, that I really met as as uh, I don't want to say it was a friend right away, but uh, I was a rookie. He was a Rule Five guy who was called up at the end of the year. Uh, Shane Victorino, and one of the first assignments I had, the city of Philadelphia Department of Rec wanted a Philly to come to their banquet. And, you know, back then, most of those guys in that room, and they were going to pay 500 bucks. I remember that. And I thought, well, Shane just got here. Maybe he can use the 500 bucks. So we went. I took him. We started talking. Uh, and then we started talking more. And, and I found out that he's on the tug wavelength as far as the game is supposed to be fun. And uh, he became a guy that just was so easy to be around uh, and and Tom we we went on the cruises with him uh, how, how, how about this the story we're we're on an island uh, Tom and I at 9:30 in the morning uh, we're having some beverages at 9:30 in the morning because we're on vacation and we're on an island and we look over and we see a young man right Tom pick <laughs> yes. up the story well there, there a young man there was a like a, 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 a boy kid. yeah, yeah a very young in the, boy in the water and we were on a uh, a dock kind of that had a roof over it and it was a nice hospitality area yeah. but we were kind of out in the water and we're, we're looking at this kid and he might he was drifting out to sea John. he was struggling he was <laughs> on a small raft <laughs> not even a raft he was on an inner tube yeah on an or two, but he was really drifting out to sea. <laughs> Scott and I were enjoying our beverages, and uh, you know, we were like, "Oh, well, that's just a shame." <laughs> <laughs> no, we somebody didn't. really no, should do something. No, we really did. <laughs> so, we, we started recognizing he was going out beyond the barrier yeah. of the of the cones or right, whatever they yes. have out there, the flotation devices, where it's safe to swim. And he was going out past that. And we said, "All right, now it's time to take yeah, action, yeah, right?" Yeah, it's like uh, Shane. Shane. Uh, why don't you go out there and help that kid who's drifting out to sea? He's so in the hot Shane? tub. Well, he's yeah. in a hot tub. Well, who else would? Do it. He's in a hot tub <laughs> with Melissa, his wife. So Shane goes, "What? He's from Hawaii." Goes, we said, "We said, boy, trouble, water." Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so basically. he gets up. He does he, a swim. He does dive. a Tarzan what? off this dock yes, and yes. swims out and gets the guy. He's swimming. Wow. He swims yeah. 300 yards. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's an he's a, uh, uh, explorer scout. No, what's the best scout you can be? Eagle scout. Eagle scout. Eagle scout. He's an eagle there scout. Wow. So he fly. He, he flies. <laughs> Pretty much flying Hawaii. <laughs> he swims. A swimming Hawaiian goes and grabs the raft, yes. brings him in. Yes. Then the father realizes that was good, right? That Tom? was good. So what did he say yeah, to the father? He reamed out the father. See, oh, no, yeah. He was yeah. like, you know, you got to watch your kid. You know, he was he was kind of in this guy's face, like <sighs> you got to watch your kid. Scott, you did this from a PR perspective, knowing that if you <laughs> saved him, it wouldn't have been a big story. But you had the flying Hawaiian save him, and that became a big story. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't <laughs> swim. Plus, I was enjoying my mind, guys. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> Shane. Shane, it's, I love Shane too. And Shane, Shane was there's there's some people like Tug, as you said. Cameron Rupp, and the, the common denominator is these guys know how to make connections, mm. and they have they had you know oftentimes these players have come to us for hey can you get me a car can you get me this and that Shane is one of those few guys that literally had you go you went to Shane for the connections because yeah. Shane went out and worked it man he he worked his AT and T worked his Novacare he, he had his all his different things and he gave a million dollars to Boys and Girls Club let's not forget about right. that oh yes Shane, of course you know? 
But yeah, I remember sure. we took we took Shane. I was gonna take Shane to a reggae concert. I forget forget who was playing. He loved reggae. Yeah. We uh, I assumed it was a reggae concert. It was gonna be starting late, right? right. Mm-hmm. So we were at Downey's, and all of a sudden it's like 9:30. I said, you know what? I should check to see when they go on stage. I called my buddy who's a promoter. He's like, oh, they're getting off the stage in a half an hour. And I said, Shane, uh, uh, we missed the concert. <laughs> I'll, hey, buy, okay. I'll buy you a drink. No, Sorry. Okay. But you mentioned other guys. Jim Tomey's uh, fathead is over there. Uh, there's nobody better than Tomey. We yeah. all agree that and, and, and no to that. And, and now you got a great clubhouse of, of young guys in here, the next generation of, of future Philly stars. And, and uh, you know, all those guys are great guys down there. It's a great clubhouse, Scott. And actually, I know John wants to get to his quiz. And I just want okay. to say. I'm trying we, to keep away from the no, quiz. No, the quiz is coming. Okay. Uh, You're Scott not Kingery and Reese Hoskins will be joining us in That's the Bahamas. Correct. Really? We really are trying to get the word out because really, it's really cool. Having those two guys going to be with us for, uh, you know, down there for, I think it's a five-night uh, tour. Right. It's going to be awesome. And I tell you what, Reese Hoskins, and you can, you can chime in. I've never met somebody who hasn't had a full season hmm. who – just has that natural leadership. I mean, that guy, he, he has the wisdom of someone that's been in the league for 10 years. He's their player rep, for crying out loud. Right. I mean, and I remember when Oduble basically made a mistake in the outfield, mm-hmm. he went to Reese to apologize. He didn't go to Carlos Santana, nothing against Carlos, but he went to a guy that he just felt he had to apologize to, and yep. he's really become that leader of the clubhouse. One real quick story, Oduble, you mentioned him. Uh, John, uh, Tom, you, the, your best friend was, was at the place that I stay in where we did the commercial yes. in Clearwater with Oduble. That was great. I think people might remember he jumped in the water and then shocked the fanatic, right? Yeah. Well, uh, the place where he was going to jump in is only about five feet deep, but a double can't swim. So he was terrified of doing this. So he asked me to be the body double to begin with to show him. Uh, and so I did, and, and I, I, my head barely went underwater. Uh, and, and so then he says, well, Get behind the fanatic there in case I drown. Yeah, I know. In, 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 in kind of a double language. Yes. And, and uh, <laughs> he jumped in, but people don't know because we didn't keep the video going. He swam like he was like a shark was chasing him, and I said, "I thought you didn't know how to swim. I didn't want to drown." I mean, uh, uh, that's a, that's one of our but favorite people because he's Odubel. He's Odubel, but you were right there to save him. Now, you, you didn't save the little kid, but you would have saved Odubel Herrera. I'm not going in open water, Tom, and neither were you, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, I wasn't. I no. wasn't. All right, John, it's right, quiz time. Go. I'm curious because I, I did not off. preview this, Scott, so I don't know what John's got cooked up, but um, all I do know. Well, if you do win the well, quiz. Well, yes, there are ten questions. Yeah. And Scott ten, gave me ten. Scott, ten questions. You're gonna go. Qu- you're gonna go quick. Ten. You're gonna go quick. We might. We Is might. This the SATs. If you do pretty well, you can go. You can go quicker. Okay. But if you get seven of ten, does he win? Unlikely. Brad Lidge, Bobbinhead Dial, sponsored by Toyota on August fifth on Alumni Day. He could. I was Ooh. gonna say. I was gonna say I'd if like he that. wanted the Pico uh, socks that were given to Philly socks that all fans are gonna get uh, this Sunday. But we can do the Brad Lidge. <sighs> we'll give you a choice. Give you, you a choice. Seven, okay. ten. Thank we'll you. Anything you else we'd like to plug before the quiz starts? There it is. All right. Okay. Maybe I can chop some some off. But you gave yeah. me three subjects and it's very eclectic. You are a uh, Renaissance man. No, not so at all. So you said vacation. You said fifties uh, westerns. Fifties westerns. And yeah. I've got a surprise uh, quiz towards the end. Okay. Okay, so we'll start sure. with um, where do you, we'll start with uh, vacation. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll go real quick because it tends a lot. What attraction do Clark and Ellen? Here's the first question. What what attraction do Clark and Ellen skip so they can get to Catherine Eddy's quickly? Do they skip the House of Brick, the House the of Mud? World's largest ball of twine. 
Dodge City or the Grand Canyon? I don't think the Ball of Twine well, was the, on there. No, but did, they did skip that. But uh, actually, they looked at the Grand Canyon very quickly. So what were the other two? The House of Brick or the House of Mud? Dodge City, Grand Canyon. They were in Dodge City, so I'd say House of Mud. House of Mud is correct. Bang. Very good. What is on Edna's dog name? Now, this is the dog that Clark, oh, shoot. Clark absolutely yes. attached to the back of his <laughs> yes, car. He did. And uh, was it Buddy, Dinky, Sam, or Binky? Buddy, Dinky, Sam, or Binky? I think it was Dinky, and the poor little Dinky fella is, probably, yes. probably ran with you for a mile Dinky or so before correct. he gave out. Yep. All right. Nice, Scotty. Who does Clark share a beer with after their car is stuck in the sand? Is it A, Rusty, B, Audrey, C, Ellen, D, on Edna? All I right. think it's Rusty. Rusty, you Rusty. are three for three. three. We're moving into... <laughs> 50s westerns. Oh boy! All right. White Earp carried his trademark long-barreled Colt 45 pistol mm-hmm. in the life and legend of White Earp. Yes, he did. What was the model of the famous revolver he carried? Was it A. Peacemaker, B. Buntline Special? Buntline Special. Buntline Special. You are correct. Scotty. He's he's right now he's You're what fire. Four, 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 four for four. four. Bat Masterson was a dapper lawman in a series of the mm-hmm. same name from 59 to 61. Mm-hmm. In what western city did he keep order? Was it Laramie, Tombstone, Dodge City, or Virginia City? Uh, he was in Dodge City, I Dodge believe. Dodge City, is, he's keeping that correct. The deputy ran from 1959 Barry, to 61. Gene Barry, by the way. Gene Barry was the, was the actor. That's bonus points. The deputy, <laughs> the deputy ran from 1959 to 61. Who played the role of Chief Marshal Simon Fry? Was it Alan Case, Gene Barry, Henry Fonda, Steve McQueen? Steve McQueen was in Wanted Dead or Alive. And I don't, uh, I'm going to just say Steve McQueen, but it's probably not right because he was in Wanted. It was Henry life. Fonda. I never That's saw right. it. Did he really? Yep. Well, We're going to give that? you one Beach Boys question because you said you, you said you like Beach Boys. Yep. Which Beach Boys song contains the lyric, we always take my car because it's never been beat? Is that Surfing USA, I Get Around, Help Me Ronda, Surfing Safari? I Get Around. I get around. It's, Scott, it's, Scott just saying, I did the same thing because now I think about it. He did run this by me, and I was doing the same thing. I had to, I had to, the lyric, I had right? to do the lyrics. Yeah. All right, now this is the category that you probably know the best. Oh, boy. Okay? Uh, no shot. Go ahead. Young pop singers. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> who, did, who, did, who did Halsey recently break up with? G Easy. I didn't even have to yeah. give the four. Scotty knows he his knew pop it. Superstars. And she's crushed, by which, the way. Which, <laughs> which pop singer's real name is Ashley Nicolette Frangipone? Halsey. Frangipani. Frangipani, sorry. Just like our old uh, ground crew. Yes, it is. All right, then the last one is okay. which Halsey song with the Chainsmokers peaked at number one on the Billboard charts in 2016? Was it Him and I, Now or Never, Closer, or Alone? If you get it's this. not alone. Alone is a solo, and and, the, and 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 him and I was with G Easy. So give me the other two again. Now or never or closer. My God, I think get, closer you, was a solo, so I'm gonna say now or never. Uh, was I'm, it closer? It's closer. Uh, but I think uh. I think Tom, that is the end of the quiz. He did absolutely tremendous. We know where you, his his true. He knows his westerns. He knows his vacation. He knows his Beach Boys. But he really knows Halsey. Correct. He really does. And uh, Nat King Cole is a, a distant memory. Yes. <laughs> I think I think Halsey. Halsey is now number one. Camila Cabello. You can talk. Category. You can talk to these young athletes about Halsey, right? Because they know Halsey. They don't know Nat King Cole, but they know Halsey. We'll introduce them to Nat King Cole. They should know their heritage. He's <laughs> <laughs> great, great singer. Scott, All of them are great entertainers. I, I actually, that was our best uh, contestant right best there. Best contestant. <laughs> really? Right. Eight out of ten. And, Tom, there was no convoluted answer or question. 
No, you did pretty good there. Thank you were good thank questions. Thank you very much. Is, good is, questions. Is, next week, is it going to be 100 questions? Or, yes. Uh, we're yes. up to 10 yes. now. Oh, boy. <laughs> It'll be a two-hour podcast. It's a good thing. Oh. We, we have no clock here, Scott, but it is. <laughs> That's right, Rob. <laughs> I think Rob says the old clock on the wall right now, yeah, boys. Yeah, Rob's got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, hey, Scott, this has been great. We knew it was going to be great. Thanks for being here. Uh, you do so much for the organization. You know, you, uh, on the trips, I mean, you're such a great ambassador of the Phillies. Uh, you're very generous for times. John, I'm not going to get all mushy, but uh, Scott belongs to a lot of uh, uh, nonprofit organizations. He's always representing the Phillies out there in the public. Does a great job. We're so happy you're part of our family, and uh, it was great you could be here today with us. Scott. I couldn't, couldn't be any happier being at Citizens Bank Park uh, working for you know the greatest organization in baseball, and, and, and you guys, uh, you made it easy today. Thank you for uh, being easy with me. All, all right. right. Thanks, Scott. There all it right, is. John, There's another you. edition of Phillies Backstage. Thanks, Rob Brooks. And, uh, Skip Dan. Denenberg. Skip Denenberg for that great theme song. We love our theme song. Melissa Mani. <laughs> Melissa Mani. For our screenshot. We love Melissa Mani, too. Uh, so, all right, everybody. We'll see you at the ballpark, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.